Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Prospect Interview, where we meet some of the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Tom Clark, editor of Prospect magazine. Today we're launching a special quick edition of our podcast, which will take you through what you need to know about the unfolding US election. Many of us in the UK woke up this morning expecting to find a winner declared, but the ballots are still being counted and there's as yet no end in sight. Joining us from Florida, no less, is the author and commentator Diane Roberts, who regularly covers America's politics and the American past for Prospect, and also teaches English at the Florida State University. Um, Diane, thank you for joining us. I remember disturbing you precisely four years ago, and uh, you finding it very hard to dry your tears, get out of bed and write us a quick piece, but you did. How are spirits this time compared to four years ago? Well, I suppose there's there's not such a shock since four years ago, people like me, that is to say Democrats, progressives, all just said, of course, Hillary Clinton will win. Let's not be silly. People in America won't fall for this con man. Well, chastened four years later, um, we know better. I think we're still a little taken aback at how many of our country men and women uh, voted for this guy. Um, again, even after all the drama, all the trauma, all the uh, bizarre antics he's put us through to say nothing of the COVID-19 crisis, which he's mishandled in the most spectacular way. So I think, again, we're just trying to figure out what's going to happen since an inconclusive election is incredibly destabilizing to us. Um, Votes have always been counted after election day. That is not strange and it's not alarming, but having a president declare that they shouldn't be counted is strange and alarming. So we are in an alarming situation just from the point of view of democracy and the rules of the game. And yet people like us, if I can put it that way, also do need to concede that, you know, Trump might not have won this election fair and square, but he's done pretty well. He's really exceeded the polls. He's won the state you're talking to us from Florida, which is always one of the big swingers. 
And, um, you know, it, it should have been with the economic shutdown, the chaos, the pandemic, as you say, he should have been hammered. But um, the boy's done rather well. Yes, he has. And he won states that Democrats thought were at least competitive, if not polling in their in their column. And um, a lot of us thought Florida would be very, very close, but that ultimately Biden could win it. And Biden lost it by more than Hillary Clinton lost it in um, 2016. Texas uh-huh. is beginning to look competitive, but not this year. Georgia is the surprise. Georgia hasn't been called yet. And Georgia is a deep South state, but um, we don't really know what's going on there. But Trump, Trump has done spectacularly well. And um, it shows us that we do live in bubbles. We do, people like me do uh, talk too much to people who are exactly like them. Um, and clearly don't have a sense, the sense we ought to have about how a lot of people in this country feel. I would say even more than four years ago, um, we have to say that a lot of this might be about race, don't we? I mean, given what a salient topic it's been all summer, uh, and given the way that um, Trump has repeated times during his presidency from Charlottesville onwards kind of played with white supremacism, talked about the black congresswomen going back to where they came from and all that stuff. Um, I mean, it, it, it certainly feels like, if you think back not four years, but 12, when we saw Barack Obama as a kind of mixed race president win the election, it, it, it now looks to the outside world like a very large part of America is still really quite racist. Oh, there's no question. Most things in America are about race. Race is um, our besetting issue. Slavery was our original sin. We have never gotten over it. And the shock of having a black president for eight years is something which may well have helped propel Trump into office that white people it's not even conscious, but that white people reacted so strongly against seeing a black man in power, indeed, in the most powerful office in the world. And I'm not at all convinced they said to themselves consciously, this won't do, but something visceral went off in them. And we are becoming more and more a country that is divided into those who are white supremacists and those who are not. Trump is most definitely a white supremacist, and he is not particularly shy about expressing those sorts of views. So let's just turn for a moment to the Democratic side, because it's been one of the features of the Trump presidency that every conversation comes back to him. You know, the party was quite divided. It originally, um, in the early primaries, gave uh, Joe Biden, who, you know, might look like a creaking 78-year-old or whatever he is, a slightly low um, and, uh, vote before all the kind of establishment figures got behind him in the end to stop Bernie Sanders. I mean, it doesn't look like a great choice in retrospect, does it? Well, it looks like the best choice in retrospect, to, to be quite honest. Um, there were a lot of wonderful candidates, depending on your 
your bubble of the Democratic Party, but the Democratic Party united itself in a way that, uh, just as I'm impressed with Trump's voter totals, I'm impressed with the way the Democratic Party, which is a fractious bunch of characters, mm -hmm. uh, got together to vote as much as they ever get together to vote for Joe Biden, who is a, an old white guy. <laughs> and, um, you know, they were swearing up and down that an old white guy was the opposite of what they wanted. Uh, some of the, especially the Bernie bros. And yes, Bernie's an old white guy, but he's a special old <laughs> white guy, uh, according to them. Um, that this was united against Trump. And even though Joe Biden doesn't inspire, you know, rhapsodic uh, adoration the way that Obama does, or that Elizabeth Warren does, or, you know, or indeed Bernie Sanders, people went, right, we can have this old white dude, or we can have the crazy one. But do you think if there was, I mean, I take the point that, you know, if we'd had a very left-wing candidate, that would have posed different challenges. But if we'd had another middle-of-the-road candidate, be that Kamala Harris herself, who's running as the vice president, or the young mayor, Pete Buttigieg. Or, um, yeah, or Cory Booker, or, yeah. A more energetic answer to Trump, even if they were fighting essentially from the same kind of political position that Biden was. Well, I'm not sure about that because I, again, I think the Democratic Party, which is incredibly fractious, um, and there were a lot of people upset at Pete Buttigieg's um, corporate background. He worked for McKinsey, and uh, that was distressed. You know, everybody in the Democratic Party can find a lot of things wrong with uh, members of their own party. It's, it's our hobby. We sit <laughs> around going, yeah, but what about that time he worked for, you know, fill in the blank, um, or said something about it not being important to engage Black Lives Matter or whatever, because Buttigieg, I don't think would have gotten Black voters. Uh, Biden did pretty well with Black voters. We don't know completely yet um, what, what the totals will be, uh, what he didn't do well with was, was Latino voters in Florida, in South Florida. That seems to have been where he went wrong in Florida because Latino voters, the Trump campaign was very clever doing this one thing, um, telling even young Latino voters, which I think the Democrats assumed wouldn't fall for it, that Biden was a socialist, indeed a communist. And, uh, you know, however utterly silly that sounds to people in Britain or in Europe uh, who actually know what a socialist is and know what a communist is, Biden ain't either, um, it worked. It worked. They were told in South Florida that Biden's whole agenda was to turn America into a sort of version of Venezuela which doesn't make sense on any level, but we're not talking about things making sense. We're not talking about logic or rationality. This is pure emotion. This is pure our tribe versus their tribe. Our tribe is good, their tribe is bad. And of course, we can't emphasize enough, maybe because uh, you know there's some disappointment on the liberal side of things about the result that we're um, sounding a bit gloomy about the democratic performance, but absolutely everything as we speak is up in the air. And we know from the way that Trump has played it, talking about stopping votes being counted and bringing in his friends in the courts to try and see to it that that's done, that this thing is likely to run and run, you know, particularly maybe if Biden is 
um, on, a, on a fair appraisal um, ahead. And so given that level of polarisation you're talking about, do you see a peaceful, I don't just mean that at the basic level, a peaceful, never mind a non-grudging way out of this for America now? I'm hoping for a peaceful way out. I'm not sure there is one. Um, there are militia groups who have said they will be in the streets. There are a lot of young people who've said they'll be in the streets on the other side. You never know. But um, you know, Trump, I can't see Trump simply accepting losing. That's not his brand. His brand is he's always a winner, even if he isn't a winner. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, I, I don't know what will happen. I don't know if Trump will, will accept what courts say. Um, I don't know if Trump will try to actually get his supporters into the streets to be violent. Trump has been increasingly authoritarian in his rhetoric and indeed in his actions. And, um, this is unthinkable. I never thought I would be saying this about an American election, even in the year 2000, which was the bitterest thing that most of us had ever seen in America, the Bush versus Gore uh, election when Florida managed to completely screw up a presidential race. Um, it was a peaceful transition because both sides agreed that that's how we do things in the United States. You don't have both sides agreeing to that now. You don't have Trump agreeing. Trump well, I mean, is... Sorry. Well, Trump's made more or less plain, hasn't he, with his kind of standby Proud Boys and all that stuff, that he's, um, he's more interested in Trump than he's interested in democracy. Um, the Democrats might sort of have started out in a different place. I'm sure they did. But, you know, we've also had Hillary Clinton saying don't um, concede under any circumstances. And if, if there are some kind of legal wrangles now that end up with votes not being counted and it all gets in front of the court where Trump's controversially, you know, rammed through his hand-picked judge and if she doesn't recuse herself and proves to be the casting vote and all the rest of it, 
the democratic side of the population isn't going to take this lying down like they did in 2000, are they? There's going to be huge questions about legitimacy and God knows where it could end. Secession. There will be huge questions about legitimacy indeed, and not just the legitimacy of, say, the Supreme Court, but of, of everything, every American institution. Four years ago, and you were quite right that I was, you know, whimpering about having to write anything about that election. But I think I said very grandly that I thought our institutions would save us. I am not at all sure of that now. Mm. I'm really not. The Supreme Court looks to me to be a very much compromised institution. Um, all of the courts look looks so politicized and I would I would be angry if the Democrats had done this too because the courts are supposed to not be part of the political equation in this way but there's a long road between between a long road to um, court challenges which would have to start in state courts because all of our elections are really governed by the states. We have no, God help us, national election laws. We have no national election standards. Every state got to make it up however they wanted to. Um, and courts, even courts with judges appointed by Republicans tend to be keen on evidence. <laughs> and Trump will have to come up with some pretty good evidence of fraud or you know, but I, I can't imagine he would argue voter suppression, but then I need to imagine all kinds of stuff I never imagined. Um, if it were to come before the Supreme Court, I think that in and of itself would be seen as a highly politicized move. If they take the case, they don't have to take cases. You don't just go, he says he's going to go to the Supreme Court, but you don't just go to the Supreme Court the way you go to the supermarket. You know, there is a process, a legal process. And I suppose the fact that it looks, you know, there isn't this big democratic blowout that sort of judges the Neil Gorshucks and the um, John Robertses, uh, you know, who might want a quiet life, don't need to be worried about some great democratic wave, meaning they'll remake the Supreme Court because they're not in a position to do that, are they? So, you know, not in other yet. words... Like, <laughs> no, no, not yet. I mean, uh, but the, if the Democrats do eke this out and see off Trump, if you're a conservative judge who wants a quiet life, that's probably not a bad outcome for you just now. Well, true. And if you are an institutionalist, which many conservatives are, old school conservatives, um, you, you actually buy into the idea of the court as an apolitical um, or above political institution. Uh, Trump's three justices clearly are not those people. Um, they are highly activist and political. And people could argue that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was as well. And I'm not sure I would disagree. But, and the court is of course political. It's just how political. Um, I don't know where how that will go. There's been a lot of talk of expanding the Supreme Court. That will not happen unless the Democrats win a majority in the Senate and the White House. And even then, I think Joe Biden would be very leery of doing that because he is an institutionalist. 
but um, if 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 we're in this situation where you know either way actually either either Biden's going to win and not be able to get anything done because of um, Republican obstruction in the Senate, or like by some extraordinary kind of combination of courts plus coup, Trump manages to cling on, or maybe I should uh, admit the possibility that like under these bizarre rules he's able to win despite losing the popular vote again. I mean. If you think about a kind of young person who's liberal, like, are they going to respect the way the US is run anymore? I mean, you know, three of the last, if, if Trump were to win this, three of the last four Republican victories in a presidential election would come along with losing the popular vote. And um, the Senate's going to do whatever the Senate's going to do, despite the fact that it doesn't have a majority of Americans behind it. I just um, wonder if the institutions are going to have enough backing um, to be able to call the shots or whether the whole thing's going to break down? Well, they can technically call the shots. Uh, the Senate mm -hmm. doesn't do anything at the moment anyway. It just absolutely does nothing. Mitch McConnell has seen to that. And that old weasel has got reelected. Um, and uh, he, we know what he's about. I think young people will lose all respect for these institutions. Uh, they are already the least likely voters. They don't see that anything changes. They can't get the United States government to take climate change seriously. They can't get the United States government to take systemic racism seriously. Indeed, Trump has now declared that because there is no systemic racism and no one should talk about it ever again because it doesn't exist. And if you do talk about it, it just generates anti-patriotic feelings. Uh, we're, we're getting very close to, to a, a strange kind of Chinese Communist Party re-education in some parts of the Trump administration. Um, but I, I don't really think that we're going to survive as the democracy we have been, which is wildly imperfect, but functioning. Um, if we keep having presidents that are elected by a minority and Senate, and indeed a House of Representatives, but mostly the Senate at the moment, which is representative only of a minority. Republicans are very much in the minority in this country, uh, and yet they control everything so like but listening to you diane and it's a fairly grim prognosis albeit a kind of qualified one again if we just come back to what young people in say california would would think you know if, if trump can cling on um or if the senate's going to stay republican and stop any prospect of a of, of a um, democrat government being able to do anything are those people still fundamentally kind of committed to the idea of america enough to think that they should hang on in there and try and take charge in Washington again? Or do you think they might think, sod it, we're, um, we'd be better off, um, you know, declaring independence, like we've got a big movement for Scottish independence over, over here. So if you're in New York or, or in California, why not think that over there? Yes, I think, I think that you will hear much more talk of secession. Uh, various kinds of secessions, even within California, which is gigantic, um, it, it might secede as its own place or it might break into three. The <laughs> South, 
the South has never, the white South has never stopped talking about secession, you know, which I, in my silliness, thought that we had actually settled in 1865, but it's never been settled. America's never been a stable proposition. We've just sort of played one on television for a while. And more and more, I think the country is, is too big, too diverse, um, too, I think, again, tribal. We're too tribal. And I don't know what could actually unify us. There seemed to be a brief moment when Obama was elected and then reelected. And some of us thought, gosh, look at that. You know, a black guy getting elected twice. We, we must be maturing as a nation. We must be getting over our past. And apparently that was an aberration. Um, so I don't know what will happen. I, it doesn't bode well. So none of us know what will happen either in the immediate term or the longer term. But I think, Diane, on that dark note, we should leave things and say thank you very much for getting up at this ungodly hour to speak to us from Florida. Um, uh, and thanks to all of you for listening to the Prospect interview. If you enjoyed it, do leave it a rating or review. Goodbye, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.